The left is feeling a lot of emotions after President Trump's COVID diagnosis. They're feeling a little bit of sympathy, just a little bit. They're feeling a lot of happiness. We'll get to that. And mostly what they're feeling is self-righteousness. Jake Tapper over at CNN sums up perfectly all of the sanctimony. Many Americans are likely feeling both sympathy and anger today, emotions that don't necessarily mix well. Sympathy for all of those suffering, including President Trump, who remains at Walter Reed Medical Center. But also anger, because so much, so much of all this pain could have been avoided. So many of us since March have been doing everything we can to preserve the health of not only ourselves and our families, but our communities, our neighbors, you, social distancing, wearing masks, holding events remotely, Weddings have been canceled, jobs lost, children are missing out on in-person education and their ability to see friends. It's a real crisis. It's going to leave scars. The president has been undermining these efforts, expressing disdain for health regulations and those who abide by them. The Americans who don't listen to science or medicine, who think masks are too intrusive, who pack bars, who willfully risk spreading the virus, you are making it worse for all of us. You are extending how long this pandemic will last. None of that is true. <laughs> None of that is true. It seems Jake Tapper knows even less about politics than he does about viruses. He just grates on and on, and it's all Trump's fault, and it's all the Trump supporters' fault, and they've ruined their lives. Look, the left has absolutely ruined everyone's education, canceled weddings, stopped seeing grandma. They've ruined everything, and it's still not working because of those Trumpers. They are drawing the complete wrong conclusions from President Trump's diagnosis, and they are making that classic leftist mistake which we will get to. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Thursday is from Andrew Cooper, who says, President Trump is termed a racist by his political opponents. Joe Biden is termed a racist by his running mate. That's true. That's true. Look at the sort of things that were being said about Joe Biden not so long ago. But now, of course, everybody is rallying behind him. This absolute edifice of lies, this establishment of lies from the mainstream media, Hollywood, elected Democrats, the bureaucratic government, the public health experts, the universities, all of it teaming up to completely gaslight us on reality. The left could not be drawing more incorrect conclusions, wronger conclusions from President Trump's COVID diagnosis. Trump, by the way, apparently doing great. He's scheduled to be released from Walter Reed after just, uh, just a few days. Today, he uh, has been giving shows of strength the whole time. He addressed the nation from Walter Reed. I just didn't want to stay in the White House. I was given that alternative. Stay in the White House, lock yourself in, don't ever leave, don't even go to the Oval Office. Just stay upstairs and enjoy it. Don't see people, don't talk to people, and just be done with it. And I can't do that. I had to be out front, and this is America. This is the United States. This is the greatest country in the world. This is the most powerful country in the world. I can't be locked up in a room upstairs and totally safe and uh, just say, hey, whatever happens, happens. I can't do that. We have to confront problems. As a leader, you have to confront problems. There's never been a great leader that 
would have done that. So that's where it is. I'm doing well. I want to thank everybody. Our First Lady is doing very well. That's where it is. Leaders have to confront problems. And that's what Trump does. It, it describes his entire presidency. It's not always easy. Think about just the issue of China. For decades, both parties just went along with China, just go along to get along. They said, ah, and maybe it's not good in the long run that we're shipping all of our jobs overseas, but look, there's a little money now. It's easy. We don't want to disrupt things. We don't want to disrupt uh, corporate interests. So let's go along with it. What does Trump do? Throws a wrench in that. Same thing with immigration. Both parties go along to get along on open borders immigration, even though that sort of process is creating human havoc in its wake. It's destroying actually the lives of people who are trying to come over here because of the, what they have to deal with to get into this country. And it's, of course, weakening the country itself. President Trump deals with it head on, and he's doing the same thing with COVID. I also want to point out there's a lie that's being told by the media that President Trump was a weak leader on COVID, that he, he made the problem worse. You just heard Jake Tapper say that. President Trump was much more cautious and much more effective on coronavirus than his political opponents were. President Trump shut down travel from China, the source of the virus, when Joe Biden said that that was hysterical xenophobia. Joe Biden would have kept that border open, would have made the virus much, much worse. Nancy Pelosi, at the same time that President Trump was closing the border with China, what was she doing? She was showing up down in Chinatown in San Francisco without a mask, and she said famously, come on down to Chinatown. Absolutely, they were not taking it seriously. Then President Trump cuts off travel from Europe. Again, he was criticized for that. So even as a matter of policy by policy, how did the two sides do? Trump was much more cautious, took this much more seriously than the left. But that's not even my point. That's not even my issue here because the virus has been very different than a lot of people thought that it would. President Trump knows that, by the way. He's now gone through the ringer and he gave an update, a second update from Walter Reed the, the language he uses to describe this virus, the only word that I can use for it is very interesting. It's been a very interesting journey. I learned a lot about COVID. I learned it by really going to school. This is the real school. This isn't the let's read the book school. And I get it and I understand it. And it's a very interesting thing. And I'm going to be letting you know about it. In the meantime, we love the USA and we love what's happening. Thank you. A vaguer statement has never been, it's a very interesting thing. And yeah, it's interesting. It's not boring. I tell you, it's this, it's that. Notice he didn't say it's terrible. It's the, it's the worst disease ever. I'm in tatters. Notice he looks pretty strong. He looks okay. He was only in that hospital for a few days. Now let's hope and pray that he continues to get better because obviously for some people who have had the virus, it's been very serious. But for the vast, vast majority of people who have had the virus, it hasn't been particularly tough. For a huge number of people, some, some surveys showing up to 50%, they don't even show symptoms or very, very, very mild symptoms. And then for over 99% of people who get the virus, they'll recover totally fine. And even President Trump, who's in a risk category, he's a little bit older, he eats a lot of fast food. You can just see it on the video. That was the point of putting out those videos. He's doing pretty good. <laughs> he looks pretty strong. 
I don't know what it is. It's maybe something in his diet. You know, I, you know, he says that he draws strength from uh, McDonald's French fries and he draws strength from not exercising. I have a, I guess, an analogous exercise regimen, which is I draw a lot of strength from wine, which is why I love First Leaf. First Leaf just picks out magnificent wines and they give you a totally reasonable price for it. You know, you know the feeling. You're sitting at home, you're finishing a glass of wine, just as you're about, you're reaching out to pour another one, you realize there's no backup bottle. This is called novenophobia. This is the fear of running out of wine. Well, you don't need to deal with that anymore thanks to First Leaf. I get personalized boxes of wine shipped right to my door. Here's how you can get incredible wine without leaving the comfort of your home. Very simple. You take a wine quiz to assess your taste in wine. But then First Leaf doesn't always totally believe you, right? Because you, very often people don't know how to describe their palate. So they'll give you things generally like you describe. But maybe they'll throw in one there that, I don't know, let's see, because you like this, maybe you try this. And they did this for me. I, I poured out a bottle. I said, I said, I'm not going to like this. Then I took a sip. I said, oh my gosh. Turns out that the wine experts over at First Leaf know a little bit more about wine than I do. Then you, get, you keep giving ratings and they refine the future shipments. Really great stuff. Really, really high quality wine. You can choose what you want right in out of your next box. Uh, First Leaf updates the inventory every month so you're not going to get bored of anything like that. has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Sign up today. Get six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is six bottles of wine for $29.95. That is incredibly inexpensive. Tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. So important for President Trump to show strength, which he did. Now the left is attacking him because there was this huge rally of people praying for him and cheering him on right outside the hospital. And President Trump just took a quick little jaunt around in the Secret Service vehicle and they're driving around and he's waving to the supporters. Another very important thing to do. You've got this global pandemic such as it is. You've got the leader of the free world has it. He has got to show people that he's okay. That is a, a very important matter of statecraft. And so he does that and so CNN accuses him of putting the lives of his Secret Service agents in danger. Doing instead in doing this PR move to show his supporters that he is doing all right is he is putting the lives of Secret Service agents at risk. We saw there were at least two Secret Service agents in the vehicle in which the president was riding in. They were wearing those N95 respirators, but that was it. Uh, that, that is not the kind of protocols that are happening at the building behind me at Walter Reed, where we've been told that the doctors who have to go into the room with the president to treat him, they are wearing the full suite of protective gear, which includes not only masks, but some kind of a face shield. It includes gloves. It includes protective equipment on top of their clothing. So uh, obviously there is some risk here that the president is willing to put these Secret Service officers, Secret Service agents through uh, in order to get his public uh, facing objectives. So first off, what that guy just said is a lie. First, just the, the part about the protective equipment. You can look in at the vehicle, at the photo that CNN is using, and you can see that the Secret Service agents are wearing all of that protective equipment that he says that they're not wearing. You can look at They're wearing some kind of gown type thing over their suit. You can see the same thing with the driver. So they've got all of this, two agents in that car. Second point, though, I guess this is the bigger point. Does this guy know what the Secret Service is? is what they do. The entire job of the Secret Service is to risk their lives for the president. You have to be willing to take a bullet for the president of the United States. That is the job. 
Now, what some people are saying is there's no reason, though, that, the, that Trump had to take this ride to wave to his supporters. I think there was a huge reason, I think, that he has to show strength, not just to his supporters, but to our adversaries overseas who are looking very closely right now. But even beyond that, this CNN guy seems to think that the Secret Service, when Trump is in the hospital, the Secret Service are nowhere to be found. The Secret Service are always around the president. They are always there. <laughs> There is not, you don't get to run away for a little while and the Secret Service say, okay, bye, Mr. President. We'll pick you up in a few hours. They're always there. They're always already being exposed to this sort of thing. CNN is just very upset that President Trump is now enduring this virus. He's in this dangerous age group. He's enduring this virus that they have been fear-mongering us all over for the past eight months. And President Trump is looking strong and he's dealing with this head on. Liberals are drawing the complete wrong conclusions from Trump getting COVID. The, the one point they seem to be showing is, and they've, they've been talking about this on Twitter, on TV news, on all these things. They say, now that Trump has COVID, now finally, maybe his supporters will take this seriously. The people who didn't want to plunge the entire country into a great depression and shut down everything and stop people from going to their families' funerals and stop kids from going to school and stop elective surgeries and stop important surgeries that are going to lead to higher deaths from things like cancer, for instance, because treatments were not being given while the hospitals were all locked down for COVID. Now, maybe those awful people will take this seriously. It always comes back to the masks. You know, they, they're so obsessed with the masks. The magical cloth mask that nobody wears correctly that, that is going to protect everybody from the virus. The liberals seem to think, I'll just use the mask as an example, but it's an example, it stands in for all these other measures too. The liberals seem to think that we oppose the mask rules because we don't think that we can get COVID-19. In reality, we oppose the mask rules because we know that we're all going to get COVID-19. Liberals think that we oppose the lockdowns and shutting down school and ruining everybody's life because we think that we could, we could never get it. But it's the opposite of that. It's that we know that these policies that they have put into place are not sufficient to stop a virus because no policies have ever been sufficient to stop a virus because the public health experts that they are deferring to, those people themselves are telling us that these things are not sufficient to stop the virus. Dr. Daniel Griffin at Columbia, just one public health expert among many, but in a left-wing outlet, he admitted this. He told NPR, he said, in the studies, masks fail. Now, you're not allowed to say that. Now, you're not allowed to say that the masks are not particularly effective at stopping the virus, but listen to why. Listen to why. He says, in the studies, masks fail. People don't use them correctly. They touch the front of it. They adjust it. They push it down. I mean, you can see, you, you know this all the time, probably from your personal life. How often are you washing your masks? Probably, are you washing them every day? Are you washing them twice a day? Are you, mm, probably not. For a lot of people, they have the same dirty mask. They shove it in their pocket. When they walk into a restaurant, they have to put it on. When you use a mask that way, when you're touching your face, when you're actually, Dr. Fauci, early on in the, in, when he was telling people at that point not to wear masks, because masks, he said, were useless against the virus. This is before he changed his mind and said people should wear masks. But he said that the reason is that you put the mask on and all of a sudden you're touching your face a lot more, which actually could undermine the, the effectiveness of the masks. So I'm, I'm willing to say, just for the sake of argument, let's say that, that the masks could have a 100% effective rate. 
They don't. No study shows they have a 100% effective rate, not even close. But let's just say that they did for the sake of argument. My argument against the masks is not a scientific argument. It's a political argument. Because in order for that 100% effective rate to, to matter, people have to use the masks correctly, which they will not. They simply won't. And Jake Tapper can cry on CNN all he wants about the mean old Republicans who aren't wearing their masks right. By the way, a lot of Democrats aren't wearing their masks right either. But regardless, if your policy requires people to behave 100% perfectly all of the time, that's not much of a policy at all. That policy, it's, this is the classic leftist mistake, is they're ignoring human nature. They think that they can overcome human nature. If the masks only work in this utopian world, then the masks don't work. And that's exactly what this, this doctor from Columbia is telling NPR. The, the masks fail in the studies. Sure, maybe it's because, of, because humans aren't using it correctly. But guess what? The policies are for humans. Dr. Fauci admitted the same principle when it come, beyond the masks when it comes to the vaccines. And, you know, we've all been, we've all been waiting on this vaccine. We, we went from flatten the curve to find a cure, to find a vaccine. We've all been waiting on this a long time, and it has destroyed our economy. A lot of people are making a lot less money now than they used to, and that's why they've got to switch over to Pure Talk, because you're probably over, overpaying for your cell phone coverage. If your cell phone plan is with Verizon, ATT, T-Mobile, you are paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would be getting right now with Pure Talk. Now, I know what you heard. You just heard me say, you're paying too much for similar coverage that you would get with Pure Talk. That's not what I said. What did I say? I said the exact same coverage, same towers, same networks, but you're paying twice as much. Look at your cell phone bill where it shows the data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than four gigs of data per month. But the big carriers, what are they doing? They're charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but then you only need one seat. Why would you do that? That is how Pure Talk saves the average customer over $400 per year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data, you know how much you get that for? 20 bucks a month. 20 bucks a month. Unbelievable. People who are switching to Pure Talk are saying it is the easiest decision that you will make all day. Head on over, grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Michael Knowles, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Canada, W-L-E-S, like Beyonce. When you do, you will save 50% off your first month. Dial pound 250, say keyword Michael Knowles, Pure Talk, simply smarter wireless. How was that for a segue? That, I hate to point it out, but that was a great segue. Forget about those masks, okay? Just put the masks aside for a second. Turn to the vaccines. Dr. Fauci was being interviewed by CNN. He was asked about the effectiveness of the vaccine because when we're talking now, now we sound like we're just trying to find a cure. And then finally, when we have a cure, then we can reopen the country, even though uh, that's a utopian quest in, in and of itself. But we have this idea that the vaccine is going to solve everything. Vaccines are not 100% effective. Actually, when we're talking about this vaccine, even if we got super duper lucky, we found the greatest vaccine, you're still talking about 70% effectiveness. I doubt seriously that any vaccine will ever be 100% protected. The best we've ever done is measles, which is 97 to 98% effective. Um, oh, that would be wonderful if we get there. I don't think we will. I would settle for a 70, 75% effective vaccine because that would bring you to that level of would be herd immunity level. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty good. 
if we could look, I mean, uh, you're still saying 30% of people are going to, they're going to get this vaccine and it's not going to be effective and they're going to get COVID and God forbid what happens. So 30%, that's a lot of people, right? However, then you could, if you get to 70, 75%, then you're at that herd immunity level. You know, that, that herd immunity is when the virus has already run through the population. And so the population then is stronger and more resilient against it. Some countries who had intelligent policies on COVID early on, like Sweden, for example, pursued that idea. They said, we're not going to weaken our immunities. We're not going to just hide away in a Purell bubble for the next year of our lives. We're going to go out and treat this like we treat other viruses and we'll see what happens. They were told that the whole country was going to get absolutely knocked down by the virus actually they're doing quite well. And we'll see how they do into the future. Because obviously, once you achieve that goal early on, that has better effects down the line. But okay, 70, 75%, you get to that herd immunity. That's great. So we'll get the vaccine, we'll get the 70, 75%, we'll get the herd immunity, then we're all good, right? Ah, Fauci says not so fast. If only, say, 70, 75% of Americans are willing to get the vaccine, and it's only, say, I think you just said 70, 75% effective, is that going to get us to herd immunity? Yeah. Unlikely, and that's one of the reasons why we have to make sure we engage the community as we're doing now to get community people to help us, for people to understand that we are doing everything we can to show that it's safe and that it's effective. And it's for the good of them as individuals and in society to take the vaccine. So we have a lot of work to do because as you well know, we've spoken about this intensively in the past, there is a general anti-science, anti-authority, anti-vaccine feeling among some people in this country, an alarmingly large percentage of people, relatively speaking. I think there's an anti-politics problem that's going on among the public health experts. I think, I think, I don't think it's the anti-science problem among the people. I think it's the anti-politics. It's the anti-philosophical. It's the anti-human nature problem that's going on in our scientific community. He says, 70, 75% effective vaccine, we've got herd immunity. So the woman says, okay, but what if some people don't take the vaccine? He goes, oh yeah, well then we're not going to get herd immunity. Yeah. She goes, what if only 70, 75% of people take the vaccine that's only 70, 75% effective? He goes, yeah, then we're not going to get herd immunity. So then we're not going to get herd immunity, buddy. That's how it works. I, I get it. In your ideal utopian world, you could force everybody to get the vaccine and then you get 100% use of it and then you get 70, 75%, then you got herd immunity. But we're not living in that world. We don't have a country where you can just force people who don't want to take a vaccine to take it. At least, at least not in this particular case, right? So, so then what? So then it doesn't work. So then I know people are castigated for saying the vaccine won't be as effective as they're promising, for saying the masks won't be as effective as they're promising. It's not because of any scientific claim. It's a political claim. Human nature has something to say here. No scientist had ever proposed some policy that was going to stop the virus, okay? You remember the point of the lockdowns was flatten the curve so that we don't overwhelm the hospitals. We never came close to overwhelming the hospitals. The Javits Center Emergency Hospital in New York was mostly empty. The hospital ship that was sent to New York by the federal government was sent home. Same thing happened in California. Good, we didn't. We didn't, but flattening the curve doesn't reduce the number of cases. The point of this is there are limits to politics. There is no magical policy that is going to stop the virus in its tracks or stop the flu or stop the common cold or stop anything else. Every utopian policy in history has been much worse, much worse than the disease that it promised to cure. And the, the, the left, because they can't get past human nature, 
because they keep running up against this. They say, but people aren't doing what I want them to do. They're not behaving perfectly. Mind you, these leftists don't behave perfectly themselves, do they? Even notice the, 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 these left-wingers are pretending that if Trump had just worn the mask, no one would get the virus. A lot of left-wingers who have worn the mask have gotten the virus. Now they would blame other people. They'll say, well, because it's other people aren't wearing the mask. Well, because other people haven't locked down. Well, because other people went to work. Okay, fine. Sure. Reality contradicted your theory. Reality contradicted your model because human nature is human nature. And the left doesn't like human nature, so now they're openly wishing that President Trump would die. Now, this is, this is what happens when you've got people on the left who are just stuck in their own ideologies. One thing that can kind of crack you out of your own ideology is taking a cold, hard look at business, which is why I would recommend right now checking out the expert ownership course that the Benham Brothers and Jeremy Boring and lots of other people are putting through. There are only two days left to get a discounted ticket to Expert Ownership Live, a virtual conference October 21st and 22nd featuring world-renowned leaders like John Maxwell, the founders of uh, Duck Commander and Otterbox, the Benham Brothers, and our personal favorite, Jeremy Boring. This two-day virtual conference will set you up with the skills you need to lead through crisis. You'll hear stories about the challenges of startup journeys, the tough times that come with any company, and how these individuals pushed through failure to come out successful on the other side. I really like this idea because, I mean, Jeremy will tell the story just of the Daily Wire. We've gone through some tough times here at the Daily Wire. Jeremy led us through, and there's nothing that will smack down a theory quite like going through possible failure as a company. All business leaders have to deal with failures, but it forces you to change your theories. And uh, it's very important because then you can be successful. This is a great lineup. We would love to have you join today for only $97. Go to expertownershiplive.com slash Knowles. Go there in the next 48 hours to register and you'll get to see Jeremy. How about that? Expertownershiplive.com slash Knowles for $97 only today and tomorrow with an opportunity to purchase a second ticket for a friend at 50% off. Expertownershiplive.com slash Knowles to secure your spot. Democrats now openly wishing that Trump dies. Zara Rahim, a former Obama official who also worked on Clinton's presidential campaign, Hillary, not Bill. She uh, tweets out after the president was diagnosed, quote, it's been against my moral identity to tweet this for the past four years, but I hope he dies. And then she's got little stars around the dies. dies Imagine saying that. Imagine saying that about a fellow person. And this is not just some low-level staffer, right? This is an Obama administration official and a high-level Clinton presidential official. Imagine if any Republican said this about a Democrat. About the, about the Democratic president, about Barack Obama. Can you imagine? It'd be wall-to-wall coverage. This, probably you're only hearing on this show. Max Berger, former staffer for Elizabeth Warren. I can't think of anything more distasteful than wishing death upon another human, except maybe causing preventable mass death because you don't want to damage the stock market or your re-election chances. All jokes aside, I hope the president injects himself with bleach. It's a Liz Warren staffer. By the way, when these people say that Trump has made the virus worse and he caused preventable mass death and all this, Ask him how. Ask those people, how did he do that? What did he do? As far as I can tell, people are mostly trying their best in this country. Even the governors and the mayors, they're trying their best. Some have way overreacted, but they're trying their best to protect public health. And most of the policy decisions are defensible. With one exception, Andrew Cuomo in New York sending sick people into nursing homes. That one is absolutely indefensible. Andrew Cuomo, the Democratic governor, darling of the Democratic Party, 
does have to come to account for that. Other than that, I don't see any example anywhere in the country, but they're convinced Trump is killing people. So what does this mean for Trump? Well, there's a very interesting poll that is just out. The left is celebrating this poll, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't get too cocky because they only read the headline. They didn't read what it really means. This poll could be very, very good news for President Trump. And it's reminding me of of that 2016 election when those polls allegedly looked so good for Hillary Clinton. We'll get to what those polls mean in just a second. We will get to a ridiculous attack by a Fox News reporter of all people on the president using the same race hustling trash that we usually get from the left. But in case you didn't get enough politics, last week, this coming Wednesday, October 7th, will be the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. Daily Wire's Matt Walsh will be live reacting to the debate as part of a special edition of All Access Live. Members can join Matt Wednesday night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific at dailywire.com to live chat with him on the live stream and in the comments. If you are not part of Daily Wire already, Join now as an all-access member, get 20% off with code DEBATE, so you can watch all of our upcoming debate coverage live at dailywire.com, Apple TV, or the Roku app. And join us on All Access Live every night for online and live stream discussions. And you get not just one, but two Leftist Tears Tumblers. Head on over Wednesday, October 7th, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. Get 20% off All Access with code DEBATE when you sign up today. We'll be right back with a lot more. A new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll shows that Biden is up 14 points nationally. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't like that. 53 to 39. Biden up 14 points nationally in early October. But I, I had deja vu. I don't know what it was. Reading that number, I got deja vu. So I took a look. Molly Hemingway posted this. This is from October 5th. No, I'm sorry. October 10th, 2016. Uh, This was uh, posted at CBS News. Poll, Hillary Clinton leads Donald Trump by 14 points nationally. The same number at the same time. And do you know what that number meant in 2016? That number and a buck 50 would get you a cup of coffee. That number was absolutely worthless. Because even though Hillary, she was supposed to have the huge lead, uh, she didn't and she lost. Very often the left will use polls to demoralize Republicans and try to convince them that it's not even worth showing up to vote because we've already lost. That's what they did in 2016 and they were wrong. But this poll is a little more interesting than that because it shows Biden up 14 points nationally, but it shows Trump gaining in the key swing states. So he's losing ground nationally, but he's gaining in the swing states. The national poll doesn't matter. This election is not held at the national level. It's held at the state level. And then you win the states and you get the electors and then you tally those up and you see who wins. All that matters are those swing states. Doesn't matter how many people in California and New York don't like Trump. The Democrats are already going to win those states. So you look at those swing states, Florida, Pennsylvania, Trump is gaining very very good news. Democrats are very, very upset about this. The left-wing edifice is very upset about this. The blob, the establishment. So they go back to their favorite old strategy. They go back to race hustling. This time, I don't know what is going on at Fox, but this was a Fox News reporter, John Roberts, who uh, approached the press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, 
and demanded that President Trump condemn white supremacy. I'd like to ask you for a definitive and declarative statement without ambiguity or deflection. As the person who speaks for the president, does the president denounce white supremacism and groups that espouse it in all their forms? This has been answered yesterday by the president himself, the day before by the president himself on the debate stage. The president was asked this. He said, sure, three times. Yesterday, he was point blank, blank asked, do you uh, denounce white supremacy? And he said, I've always denounced any form of that. I can go back and read for you um, in August 2019 in one voice our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. In August of 2017, racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups. I have an entire list of these quotes that I can go through with you. But he has condemned but, white supremacy more than any president but, in modern history. Just to clear it up this morning, can you, naming it, make a declarative statement that you denounce, that the president denounces it? I just did. Uh, the president has denounced this. Repeatedly, the, the you, president was asked this. You're you just, making, you're contriving a no, storyline and a narrative. Asking you to put he this said, to rest. Wow, that is the most hack journalism I have ever seen, and it wasn't CNN and it wasn't MSNBC. That was a Fox News guy who, like a complete empty suit hack, says, "Does the president condemn white supremacy?" She goes, "Yeah." I'm going to read you a tenth of the times he's condemned it. Da, 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 da. We played a montage, just a short montage on our show on Thursday. She goes, so yeah, I think it's pretty clear. He's condemned white supremacy dozens and dozens of times. And he goes, yes, but, but are you willing to, to just to clarify, or to, clar to clarify, <laughs> are you kidding me? He's done it dozens of times. She just read it to you. Yes, but he, you're not, you're just, you're reading old quotes, but I want you to do it now. Do it now. Do, say what I want you to say. Dance, monkey, dance. That's what the left is telling you. That's why I just reject the question. You know, we, we've done shows. It's funny, we did a show a little while ago. Why is racism wrong? Because you hear so much nonsense about racism that you forget why racism. Racism is wrong because it's an offense against human dignity. That's it. Very simple. That's it. Okay, we got it. Good. Flip that away. Now, now you know why racism is wrong. You don't need to constantly be reciting these things. The reason that the left does this is to make you say what they want you to say. It's not about the content of what you're saying. It's about the act of them imposing that on you. It, it's it, the, A similar question would be, uh, Kaylee, is the president willing to say that he no longer beats his wife? Um, John, the president does not, has never beat his wife. He does not. No, uh, Kaylee, you're deflecting. Can the president please definitively say that he no longer beats his wife? And by, by accepting that premise that you somehow have to condemn white supremacy, that you somehow are implicated in white supremacy or whatever, whatever the new phrase is, bigotry, then you have given the left that point. And Kaylee handled it wonderfully. And this guy, I mean, just absolutely pathetic. And then he goes on Fox News later and does some more grandstanding. He's like little mini Jim Acosta over here. Take a listen to his temper tantrum. For all of you on Twitter who were hammering me for answering that, for asking that question, I don't care because it's a question that needs to be asked. And clearly the president's Republican colleagues a mile away from here are looking for an answer for it too. So stop deflecting, stop okay. blaming the media. Tired of it. All right. John, that, John Roberts is tired of it. 
I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm tired. It's a question that needs to be asked. It's only been asked 7 million times and he's answered it clearly every single time. I'm not, stop it. Stop being so mean to the media. We're trying to destroy this president and lie about him and you're not letting us, Kaylee. What ridiculous trash. By the way, by the way, President Trump asked to do this again and again and again. He goes on Sean Hannity's show. He called in and he was asked, do you condemn white supremacy? He goes, yes, I condemn white supremacy. He went even so far that he condemned the Proud Boys. And people are reacting in a mixed way to his condemnation of the Proud Boys. If you listen carefully, though, it's kind of funny. I have to say, I've said it many times, and let me be clear again, I condemn the KKK. I condemn all white supremacists. I condemn the Proud Boys. I don't know much about the Proud Boys, almost nothing, but I condemn that. But he should condemn also Antifa. Antifa is a horrible group of people. They kill people. They, what they do to people, and they're causing insurrection, they're causing riots, he doesn't want to do that. But the press doesn't go after him, and that's a really bad group of people. But I condemn them, and if I, can, if I say it a hundred, if I say it a hundred times, it won't be enough because it's fake news. True. That is it. If he says it a hundred times, it won't be enough because it's fake news. Not just the story, right? That The issue with fake news is not just that they run fake stories. It's that they are not the news. John Roberts is not a reporter. John Roberts is a hack operative who is, it's very clear. I didn't, I didn't follow the guy very closely before, but to see that ridiculous performance, that vaudevillian performance there, you just realize, oh, this guy is not interested in the news or the story. He's just putting on a show and trying to give the Democrats a point. That's what makes it fake news. So Trump calls in, he says, yeah, I condemn white supremacists and the KKK and the Proud Boys. Now, we know the Proud Boys aren't white supremacists. We covered this on the show on Thursday, just by definition, because their leader is a black Cuban guy. So <laughs> I, he's a very confused white supremacist if he's a white supremacist. And the Proud Boys said explicitly in the statement, we condemn uh, racism and fascism and communism and socialism. Much more than you can say about Antifa or BLM, by the way, who openly embrace socialism and communism and who embrace a, a form of racism and who dress up like fascists, right? So it's actually the, the Proud Boys, not analogous at all. But in Trump's condemnation here, is, yeah, I, can, I condemn this guy, I condemn that guy, and I condemn the Proud Boys. I don't know who the Proud Boys are, but I'm told I have to condemn them, so I condemn them. It's a little, you know, it's a little bit clever. It's a little too clever by half. I don't know that I would have condemned them in that. I would have said, I don't know who the Proud Boys are. I don't, I don't follow them. They, it doesn't seem like they're white supremacists to me. Like, I, I would question the premise. But then the headline, of course, would be President Trump refuses to condemn the Proud Boys. So he got his point in a little bit the back way. He goes, I totally condemn the Proud Boys. I have no idea who they are, but yeah, you, uh, okay, fine. Will he condemn Antifa? So he deprives them of that headline. But of course, Biden is not going to condemn Antifa. Now, in terms of white supremacy, what is the state of things? We're being told that there are racial hate crimes all over the place and, you know, black lives are being hunted down. And LeBron James says he can't leave his home without being hunted down, right? In reality, that's not true. A lot of it is a hoax. Madison, Wisconsin, there was a hate crime investigation. It was pretty big. It had been making the rounds uh, about this 18-year-old biracial woman who said that she was attacked by a group of four white men who threw flammable liquid on her and set her on fire and screamed racial slurs at her. And it, it didn't happen. None of it happened. They investigated it. They found no evidence that it happened. Now the family is saying, okay, well, you know, um, please respect our privacy at this time because it was obviously completely fake, which 
most people suspected from the beginning because there wasn't a lot of evidence from the beginning. So that is a, a racial hate crime hoax. You're not going to hear about it. It will not be in the mainstream media. There's another racial hate crime issue going on over at uh, Ohio State University. Ohio State University, the uh, university has to report when there are these kind of safety incidents on campus. So they send out an email and it says that uh, a guy, a white guy was walking on the street and a black guy called him a racial slur. Then they started speaking and then the black guy comes over and punches him in the head. And then the the white guy runs away. So I just, they post about this. The, you know, if you if you're in college or you're going to college, you often will get these emails from the chief of police saying, say, okay, there was this incident, just letting you know, don't go to this area. Right. Two other students had a similar report. Uh, they reported a similar incident. One was that a black female in an off-campus area pulls up next to the victims, screams a racial slur at them. The students ignore the driver. Then she followed them. Then she got out of her car. She attacked a female OSU student and a black male who police believe is the same black guy who punched the white guy in the face, uh, attacked the other, the other male student there. So just a few of these incidents, right? The students are protesting because they're obviously they care so much about racial justice, but they're not protesting over the incident. They're protesting that the incident was reported because they're saying that by reporting on the racial hate crime, that is a ra- that is in itself racial bigotry against black people. So if you report on a crime where a black guy yells a racial slur at a white guy and punches him, if you report on that, then actually you are committing violence against black people somehow. They write, The details of this incident were shared in OSU's public safety notice and do not meet the legal definition of a hate crime. I think they do. To refer to it as such solely because the alleged perpetrators used a racial slur is illogical. Racial slurs referring to white people are not based on a history of violence and oppression towards white people. Hmm? Using this slur does not have the same violent racist implications as a white person saying the N-word, for example, nor does this make this incident a hate crime. So the long and short of that, if you want to get through that gobbledygook, is that uh, black people can't be racist against white people. That's the conclusion. You say, well, what if they're, but what if they're being racist against white people? You say, no, they're not. They're not. La, 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 right? It's, my, th- my theory is more important than your reality. That's what they say. While we're talking about racial grievance, we do have to mention, before we go, some gender grievance too. The United Nations posted a real, a, a, a real magnificent tweet the other day. This was a work of art in the ridiculous leftist Twitter game. UN Women, which is a separate account, tweets out, how to not be a mansplainer. You know a mansplainer? They they say, you can avoid being a mansplainer by asking yourself these questions. Did she indicate any desire to hear this information? Is it possible that she knows more about this topic than I do? Did I read the room before starting to speak? Did I, and then it gives the definition of mansplaining. I cannot wait to mansplain to these people how we defunded this stupid organization. I am going to be so excited. If I ever have any uh, degree of uh, political influence in this area where I can deal with the UN, I am going to build the most beautiful waterfront condominiums there. I mean, well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll lease out the Trump name. It'll be nice, big Trump luxury condominiums because surely that would do more good for the world than this stupid organization, the United Nations, which accomplishes nothing good, lots of bad things, wastes a lot of time and grievance mongers. And the United Nations itself is 
part of this problem we've been talking about all day, this problem of the perfect utopian theory coming up against the reality. Because the UN in theory, what? You get all the nations of the world to come together and we deliberate and we all figure out how to live together and kumbaya and we all live in peace. In reality, what the UN does is empowers the worst people in the world. It puts the worst regimes on earth that slaughter their own people, puts them on the human rights council. It gets all of these awful people. It invites the worst tin pot dictators in the world to come to the United States. We pay for most of the thing and, or the, at least the lion's share of the thing. And they criticize America. Why do we do that? Because the people who established the United Nations are the same people who think we can overcome human nature. We can, I mean, this is the progressive project, right? The kind of more conservative and traditional idea is that human nature is fixed. It's not changing. There are certain laws of the universe and we need to uh, govern ourselves in accordance with that. That's what the entire Federalist Papers is about. Then progressivism comes in and says, oh, forget all that. That was all written in the age of Newton, where we thought there were eternal truths and fixed laws. But we're in the age of Darwin, where we know everything's evolving and there's no fixed human nature. And we can evolve toward utopia. And that's what they, they think they're going to do. And they're going to make you evolve toward utopia, damn it. They're going to make you evolve toward utopia or you are going to die trying. Because sometimes you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. I think that's where a lot of this rancor comes from. They're going after everybody. They're going after Melania for goodness sakes. Did you hear how they're going after Melania? They found a secret tape. Some, some woman betrays her friend Melania and releases tapes of phone calls that they've had in which Melania is sort of venting about the negative press that she gets and how she's very unfairly criticized. She leaks it, plays it on CNN. They say I'm, I'm complicit. I'm the same like him. I support him. I don't no. say enough. I don't do enough. No. It's, where, it's, where I am, they, I put the, I'm working like a ass, my ass. I know. Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a f about Christmas stuff and decoration, but I need to do it, right? Yeah, but a hundred percent. You have and no then, choice. And okay. And then I do it. And I say that I'm working on Christmas uh, planning for the Christmas. And they said, oh, what about the children that they were separated? Give me break the, uh, where, where they were saying anything when Obama did that I know do, do, I cannot go I I was trying to get the, the kid reunited with the mom I, I, I didn't have a chance it needs to go through the process and through the law I love her I love her I would I would charge into battle for that woman she is so great she's so elegant she's funny apparently too I didn't realize that I love that thing. They, I'm doing the criticizing me with the Christmas decorations. Who gives? Come on, the Christmas. I'm doing my best. And it's true. She's being completely unfairly criticized. They're accusing her of, for, of separating children or whatever. They go after Trump for, for an Obama-era policy. Actually, it was a policy that was used under Obama. It actually goes all the way back to Bill Clinton's administration. But you never heard peep about it until Donald Trump comes around. And they say all sorts of horrible things about this woman. And now they're hoping that uh, she and her husband die. At least they're explicitly saying they want her husband to die. These are, these are big Democrat staffers saying that. Isn't it so funny that the left, which talks about how they just want to save humanity, they love humanity, the virus, they're going to stop the virus and save mankind. While they're wishing for the salvation of humanity, they're wishing for the death of individual humans. And that's so weird. That's, that's what they always do. They want to save the world from global warming. They want to save the world from this. They want to save the world from that. 
humanity, but not individual humans. They hate individual humans very often, as you see from what they're tweeting at the president, sort of things they're doing to individual Republicans. And they, they hate those individual humans because they hate human nature. Humanity in the abstract, they like very much, but that humanity has nothing to do with humans because it ignores human nature and their politics ignores human nature. And they get more and more frustrated as their utopian schemes don't work because utopia means no place at all. You know, topia place, no place. It doesn't exist. And they are going to keep banging their heads against the wall, trying to make their manifestos and their ideologies work. And human nature is going to remain the same, stubborn, and they are going to get angrier and angrier and angrier. We were hoping they could draw some right conclusions from President Trump's diagnosis, but not at all. Can't let reality get in the way of the theory. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.